Well, as I said before, today is week one of our journey through the book of Acts. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and grab whatever copy of the scriptures is uh, most convenient for you, whether it's an app on your phone or it's maybe the Bible tab on this online gathering platform, or or maybe it's a, a good old school hard copy of the Bible. And, and why don't you go ahead and turn to Acts chapter one. Now, <clears throat> while you find your way there, I do want to mention that if you find that you're interested in engaging more in our study in the book of Acts, I want to invite you to join one of our communities where we will be going into more depth with this content. If you'd like to request more info about our communities, make sure you click the connect with us button here on our online gathering platform, or you can just go to community.clarity.church. So uh, did you find Acts yet? I hope you did. Let's jump right in. Acts chapter one reads this. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Would you pray with me as we begin this time in the scripture? Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us who have decided to Set aside time in their day to find wisdom and insight from your word. I, I pray that for those of us that love and follow you, Lord, that you would use this time to, to mature us and grow our faith in the hope that you are not yet done changing people's lives with the gospel. And for those who are not yet quite sure whether they believe everything they've heard about Jesus in the Bible, I pray that you would use this time to bring clarity to the true meaning of the gospel and what it looks like for you to accomplish great things against all odds through those who are willingly and increasingly submitting all of life to you as master and savior. Amen. Dr. Robert Wilkin, professor of history at the University of Virginia, writes this in his book entitled The First thousand years, a global history of Christianity. He, he writes this. At the end of the first century, there were fewer than 10,000 Christians in the Roman Empire. The population at the time numbered some 60 million, which meant that Christians made up one hundredth of one percent or 0.0017 percent, according to the figures of a contemporary sociologist. By the year 200, the number may have increased to a little more than 200,000, still a tiny minority under 1%, 0.36. By the year 250, however, the number had risen to more than a million, 
almost 2% of the population. The most striking figure, however, comes two generations later. By the year 300, Christians make up 10% of the population, approximately 6 million. All of these figures are estimates because there are no hard demographic data. They can be used only with other evidence. They show that in absolute numbers, Christianity grew slowly at first, but the pace picked up in the third century. And if one were to draw a graph uh, for the fourth century, the line would mount in a steep upward curve. Christians could be found in all the major cities of the empire and in many smaller cities. And it was becoming apparent that Christianity was not a passing phenomenon. What is more, the church attracted people from all walks of life and from all social classes. If you spend even just a small amount of time looking at the scholarly work that analyzes and documents the survival and the story of growth of the gospel and the early church, you would quickly recognize the immense odds that were really against it. But despite the persecution and the opposition of a religious movement that really did not begin as a political conquest hidden behind a counterfeit mask of religion, the gospel... The good news that, that we are more flawed and messed up and sinful than we, we ever want to admit. But at the same time, we are more forgiven and loved and accepted by God through Jesus Christ than, than we, than we ever imagined this good news and the people who place their faith and trust in it survived against all odds. In fact, another commentator of the book of Acts wrote this. He said this, when you read the four gospel, you discover that the apostles had a strongly political view of the kingdom and were especially concerned about their own positions and privileges. They did not realize that there must first be a spiritual change in the hearts of the people. Acts is the historical account of what it looks like when a people embrace the way of Jesus and allow the gospel to really move and motivate their lives. Acts is, is, is the documentation of, of what it looks like for the realities of the kingdom of God to become part of the realities of the everyday rhythms of a person's life. And more importantly, a community's life. Within the book of Acts, we find tangible illustrations of how the simple power of the gospel brings spiritual change in the hearts of the people. And, and before we step into how these first few verses of Acts can impact our lives today, let's take a look at a thousand foot level of what this historical record of the gospel and the early church we call the book of Acts is all about. The Acts of the Apostles chronicles the spread of the church. But to understand what's happening in these last few days, we've got to go back to some of the first. For in the book of Genesis, God made Adam and Eve in his image, so they might dwell with him, dine with him, and take the light of his visage to every corner of creation they could possibly roam. Adam and Eve did not end up spreading God's image. Instead, they spread their own. But God would not leave his creation alone. So he died 
for their sins and rose from the grave. But before he ascended back to his heavenly place, he told his disciples what would be the scope of their work. They would take the news of what Jesus had earned to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But something else had to happen first. So the Holy Spirit came to each of them like a flame, so they could fulfill an old mission, but in a new way, to spread God's church to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Now, in the book of Acts, this threefold project serves as a table of contents. Part one, the gospel goes to Jerusalem, where Peter and the disciples begin the gospel's distribution. Part two, the gospel expands to Judea and Samaria, where Philip and others bring Israel's divided kingdom back under God's united rule over the area. Part three, the gospel goes to the ends of the earth as Paul and his fellow workers plant church after church. And in every place the disciples reached, the gospel of Jesus was boldly preached. Whether it was Peter's Pentecost sermon or his plea before the rulers, whether it was Stephen's testimony and martyrdom or Philip being the Ethiopian's tutor, whether it was to God-fearing Gentiles or in pagan Greek rings, whether it was Paul in every synagogue or before every king. But something else happened in all three of the regions the disciples would visit. When the gospel was preached and the people would hear it, the event was marked off by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For Jerusalem, the Spirit came at Pentecost to show that the power who raised Jesus from the dead is now with us. For Judea and Samaria, the Spirit came through the preaching of the gospel and the laying on of hands to show that those who seemed to have worked themselves out of God's grace were still within God's plan. And when the Spirit poured out on the house of the Gentile Cornelius, God was showing that this good news was not just for one group, but was for all of us. For that is the reason God told the disciples to go, to leave Jerusalem, so the whole earth might become the new Garden of Eden. And now, the Acts of the Apostles continues with us, the church. So may we take the good news of Jesus to our neighbors and to the nations until the light of Jesus fills the ends of the earth. In the beginning of Acts, Luke wants his readers to remember that he closed his account of Jesus's life that we call the Gospel of Luke by reminding us of Jesus's mandate to be a witness as you will find in the last chapter of Luke. Now, Luke wasn't the only one who closed their account of the life of Jesus with instructions for his disciples. In fact, in a similar way, though maybe through different perspectives, Matthew and Mark both recorded Jesus saying something like this. Here's what Matthew wrote. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. It was almost like 
Luke was asking them, hey, hey, do you remember? Do you, do you believe that Jesus has called you to, to more than just being a, a forgiven follower? Do, do you remember? Do you remember that, that Jesus has called you to be so much more? And that in fact, he has called you to be a witness. Now, this, of course, is, is not only the start of the understanding of how the gospel and the early church grew against all odds. This, in fact, is the foundation. Every great work of the gospel in and through a people who claimed to follow Jesus was built on an active belief that God was calling us and he was sending us to be a witness. Follower of Jesus, do you want God to do a great work in and through your life. Now let me ask you this. Do you remember all that was written about Jesus and what he has literally commanded all who follow him to ultimately pursue? Do you believe that you are a witness? And are you and this is the big question. Are you living as though you are a witness? It's no secret that in America, the engagement of people in a journey of faith in Jesus in the context of community is dwindling. There was a day when <laughs> that, you know, really a, a day that people would look to a local church to find answers to the questions they have about life, uh, purpose, and the meaning of suffering. In the context of a local fellowship committed to knowing and being transformed by the gospel, here's what happened back in the day. People's lives would be changed. But that was then. And now, more than ever in the history of the American church, people are not looking to go to church to find the answers that they're looking for. So how can they be introduced to the life-changing power of the gospel? Well, I think in the same way that the gospel was changing people's lives in a world that was not searching for Jesus, it was through the lives of those who lived out their faith remarkably and with conviction. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a witness. God wants to send you. He wants to use your life to help others find and follow Jesus. The question is, do you believe that you are a witness? If we head back over to Acts, Luke goes on to write this starting in verse 4. He says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. 
If Luke began what we call the book of Acts with a reminder of the fact that God has called his people to live as witnesses, then what he tells them in these next verses that we just read is how Jesus reveals the secret for being an effective witness, even against all odds. What we find here is that he tells them, Jesus tells them that they need to be filled with the Spirit. They were not to do anything until they were filled by the Spirit. Now, why in the world? Why in the world is that important? Listen, because without God's Spirit, we cannot accomplish what God desires to do in us and through us. Now, <laughs> I feel like this is something I've been saying for years, actually. Uh, here's proof. By yourself, you can't live like this. I can't live like this. You can't live like this. You can't do anything. <laughs> we can't do anything unless we place our belief in the reality of who the Holy Spirit is and our identity as people baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit who have the Holy Spirit living in them. Jesus says before he sends to his followers out to be his witnesses, he said, wait for power. I told you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything I taught you, but don't do this without me. Don't do this without my spirit. And as if you look at how Jesus did it, the beginning of his ministry starts after he gets baptized and the Holy Spirit ascends on him and he hears the Father say, this is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased. And so the question I have for you is this. Follower of Christ, have you heard the Father say that to you? This is my son. This is my daughter. I'm well pleased. Has the Spirit, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, poured the love of the Father into your hearts? Have you experienced his love? Has the Spirit of God poured into your life the love of the Father? Has he given you the permission to call him Abba, Father, Daddy? Why is this so important? Because if the Holy Spirit is not part of your identity, most of you will do ministry so that the Father will love you instead of doing ministry because you know the Father loves you. As I said then, I will say now, we need the Holy Spirit to be a part of our identity. If we really are the church, we must believe that God is inviting us to draw close to him by sending us out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe if we begin to really take hold of this, if we begin to believe this with all our heart, it will begin to transform the way we live our daily lives as we remind ourselves who we are day after day in the name of the Father 
and his son, and especially his Holy Spirit. Hey, thanks again for choosing to spend part of your weekend with us. We hope you found today meaningful and applicable to your life. If you, for some reason, are interested more about this study in the book of Acts, I encourage you to join one of our communities where we'll be going a little bit deeper each week into our study of the book of Acts. And uh, as usual, if you enjoyed today's gathering, hey, please invite a friend. Let them know that they can be a part of this too. And we would love to see you guys next week. Make sure you stick around. Ashley will be reading our kids' Bible story next. But uh, before we get to that, let me just say, may God bless you. May he keep you. May be gracious unto you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you peace. God bless you guys. See you next week.